Was there ever a time in your life when you gave your heart away to some girl or a guy? You took that vulnerable part of yourself and you extended it to someone else and you gave that trembling heart into their hands and they took it from you and dropped it on the ground and walked away. Do you remember feeling that? I think many of us have been there. Have you ever had a moment in your life when you were counting on your mom and dad to be there? You knew it was their best intention to be there. They'd been there so many times before, but for one reason or another, they couldn't be there that particular time. And it left its mark on your heart. Or perhaps you've been in a business relationship at some point. You've invested yourself very significantly in an important enterprise and then found the people on the other side of the deal not true to their word. How many of you have been in a situation where you've shared a secret with somebody? You gave them something very important and tender about you. Very, very special about you, and you asked them not to tell anybody else, and they broke their word, and they revealed your secret to someone else. Most of us have had some experience in our lives when we found that the sacredness of trust could be violated in a very painful way. Some people have put their trust in a great authority figure of some kind only to have that person abuse them terribly. Few things are more important than trust in establishing the stability and the connectivity of relationship. Trust is paramount. And few things so savage our capacity to function effectively in this world as when that trust breaks down. And when you've had experiences of trust broken so many times in your life, it is difficult, I think, not to eventually have that experience begin to condition even your approach to God. After a while, you begin to see even life itself, God himself, through the lens of these kinds of trust-breaking experiences. Can God really be trusted? We often think deep within ourselves, even if not allowed. We wonder if he's so sufficient and so good, like the Bible says, then why did he let me lose that baby? Why did he let me lose that job? Why did he let me lose that opportunity I so desperately needed? God, I'm in this difficult season of life right now. My kids are struggling. My marriage is in trouble. My finances are desperate. Where are you? I don't know for sure if I can count on you. My body is letting me down. My friend is dying. I'm honestly trying to do right, God, but I'm scared. Will things turn out all right? Are you trustworthy, God? Have you ever ever said anything like this? If ever there was a moment when I think it would be highly understandable for someone to have such trembling doubts 
towards God, it would be Jesus on the night of his arrest. The Bible says that Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane on the night before his crucifixion. He went there with his disciples to pray, the scriptures tell us. And his heart was deeply distressed and troubled. Jesus could see the storm clouds gathering over him at this particular moment. He knew what was going to come ahead. Maybe not every single detail, but he knew enough to know it was not going to be good. It was not going to be easy. Jesus would soon be arrested and clapped into chains. He would be tried and tortured by his enemies who would take delight in his pain. He would be splayed out upon a cross and have cold nails driven through the flesh of his hands and his feet. And every human being who had ever appeared faithful to him would let him down in the end. All of the friends who had claimed such devotion to him were going to find out that they suddenly had other appointments. All of the people who had clamored after him on Palm Sunday, hailing him as the great Messiah, all those people that he had fed and healed and taught who seemed so excited about him would turn against him in the end. Many of them demanding his execution. Two things particularly strike me about what Jesus said at this particular moment in his life. Two things particularly are luminous to me from this prayer that Jesus utters in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Bible says that the first of these is reflected in these words. Going a little farther, Jesus fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup. Take this cup from me. I love this prayer. I just cherish this prayer. Because I have come to moments like this in my life, not facing anything like the depth of the trial or the tragedy that Jesus was facing, but I have had these moments in my life when I have said to God, look, I believe you are all sufficient. I am taking it on faith that you are completely good. But if you are listening, God, hear me now. I believe that you... If you could create this universe, you can do anything. You can stop the earth in its orbit. You can raise people from the dead. You can heal this person or this situation that I'm so concerned about. You could give the Cubs the World Series if you wanted to. You can do everything, God. So please, let's find a plan B. I know what I see coming around here. I see this developing, but God, please. There must be a plan B. Take this cup of bitterness away. Replace it with a cup of blessing for these people I love or for me in this dark time.
You can do it. You can do it. You are the sufficient and good God. Sometimes, sometimes we are afraid to talk to God that honestly. I know some of us aren't, but some of us, some of us, we struggle to, to talk that honestly to God. We, we feel perhaps that it would be disrespectful to do so, to tell God what we want. It seems like a lack of faith to question the ways of God, the way things he chooses to allow them to unfold. But, but Jesus in this prayer is telling us it is not a failure of faith to do this. It is not. Jesus is showing us in this prayer here that, 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 that this, this desire to ask God, to pour out our heart to God and ask him for another plan is not a failure of faith. It is in sense a confession of faith. It is a statement that we believe that this universe is not an insensible, blind uh, atmosphere of random chance, but that the core of this universe, there lies a beating heart who cares for human beings, a heavenly father who's listening. In fact, the apostle John goes on to say, how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. That is what you are. And to not pour out your heart to God in these moments of great tragedy and trial and those moments when you just wish there was another plan, another way, and you hope that God will see that and make it possible to not do that would be the failure of faith. That silence would be the break in the relationship. But it is also important to notice the second part of Jesus' prayer. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you know what the most important word in that prayer is? Do you know what the most crucial word in that particular prayer up there is? It is the word Abba. Abba. It is an Aramaic word. It got preserved in the passing along of Scripture even after the Scriptures were translated into Greek and then other languages. That original Aramaic word that came from the lips of Jesus was preserved because it was so important. Abba, some translate as daddy. Abba, CFD Mool suggests, means dear father. Abba suggests this strange blend of profound intimacy and absolute respect. And it is this dear father, this Abba that Jesus knows, that conditions every experience he has in life. And it is, in a sense, the heart of the Abba, of our dear Father, that Jesus is always trying to reveal to us in his parables, in his, in his 
way of being in the world, Jesus is trying to show us the heart of God. And one of the most powerful and vivid ways that Jesus did that was in the prayer, the most famous prayer, perhaps in all of creation, that he taught his disciples to pray. You know that prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, or in Catholic circles, the Our Father. And it tells us something very important about God. This then is how you should pray, said Jesus. This then is how you should pray. Start by saying, Our Father in heaven. Now, when I was a little boy, I said that prayer dutifully when we went to church, and I always flashed at that particular phrase on this vision of God someplace off on some balcony way out there in heaven, up above the clouds. But the actual phrase in heaven in the original language means exactly the opposite of that. It does not mean that God is far. It means that God is near. Because to the Jews, the the heavens literally were the invisible places. The invisible plane that they believed intersected human life. In other words, God could be as close to you as your own hand and maybe closer, nearer to you than your own heartbeat. When you pray, remember there is a father that near to you. Your father is present to you, Jesus says. And then he goes on and tells us to pray, say, hallowed be your name. You are saying God is holy. And we'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But what he's really saying here is that God is pure hearted. That's tough to take in because you don't ever deal with anyone else who's truly pure hearted. All of the people we meet, even the best of them, are divided in some ways, distorted in some manner, darkened or deceitful or double-minded in certain fashions. There's always a shadow in people. But not so with your father, says Jesus. He is pure in his intentions towards you. He always deals purely towards you. Say also, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, said Jesus. Remind yourself in this way that God wants his will done and he isn't struggling really to have it done, hoping that it might happen, uh, hoping that we'll get it done. On the contrary, God is the king of the universe, Jesus is saying. My father holds all the power. And even though people may divert uh, in the movement of his will, even though they may oppose his will, his will will ultimately get done. He is unthinkably powerful. And then comes this series of petitions that tell us even more about the heart of our Father. Give us this day our daily bread, said Jesus to his disciples. Pray that. Why? Because God cares about daily bread. God is concerned about providing for the hungry. He is concerned about helping those who are without shelter. God is deeply concerned about the material things of people's lives. It's why he commissions us to share the resources he entrusts to us. God is a provider. And then forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, or as we have forgiven our debtors, we're asked to say. This is a reminder that our Father is a pardoning God. He is not a harsh judge. He is a God eager to forgive. 
eager to provide the second chance, the new opportunity. He wants to repair broken relationships and broken hearts. He shows his giving and in his forgiving. He he expresses a joy in recovering someone who is lost as profound as any sentiment in the universe. And finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, says Jesus. Remember that your God is a protector and a rescuer. He is your shepherd. He is your redeemer. He does not wish to see evil triumph in your life. Do you see the composite picture here? Do you see this vision? This is the dear father that Jesus knew. The one who is present, who is pure, who is powerful, who provides, who pardons, who protects. This is the heart of God toward you. God is always out for his kids' best interests. If you take nothing I've ever said to you, Take this. He is always, without fail, out for his kids' best interests. And it is why Jesus knew it was okay to ask, Dad, could there be a plan B? Could there be? But the reason that Jesus concludes his Gethsemane prayer by saying, yet not what I will, but thy will be done, Father, is because he knows with perfect clarity what it is so hard for us to take in. I know this for myself. Jesus knows with perfect clarity that if God is, as the Bible says, and I believe, utterly sufficient in his power, and if God is, as the Bible says, completely good in his character, then there is only one possible explanation for why he sometimes lets these painful plan B's go forward. It has to be because he knows something that we don't yet know about what ultimately lies in our best interests. He must know something we can't see when he lets plan A go forward. I will never forget being in the pre-op room with our 18-month-old son on the day he went in for surgery. The doctors were preparing him, and he was scared. I had tried, his mom had tried to explain to him that this operation had to be done. The doctor needed to go inside of his head and to implant some tubes so that he would no longer suffer from this awful, nauseating motion sickness, so that the terrible ear infections and the pain would stop, so that he'd have a shot at really being able to hear again. We tried to explain, but he just couldn't understand. And as the physician readied him for the 
for the surgery as they started to bring in the plastic mask they needed to put over his face for the anesthesia, he began to cry inconsolably and then to sob hysterically and he fought the physician as much as he could and his mom and I reached out and each one of us took one of his hands and pinned them to his side. We pinned them down. And I'll never forget the look on his face as he looked from one set of hands holding this arm to that set of hands, and then he looked up at us with a terrified, abject, abandoned horror like I've never seen before, as if to say, I thought you were powerful and could help me. I thought you were good and cared for me. Why? Why are you betraying me? And I saw his lips move behind the clear plastic mask. And it was obvious through those tear-swollen eyes that he felt that the one person's or the two people he could count on in life most were forsaking him. There came a moment on the cross when Jesus felt like this. There came a moment when they laid him down upon that cross and pinned his hands down. Unlike any son of man, Jesus voluntarily went to that table to heal the hearing of the world in a sense. But as he hung on that cross, the agony overwhelmed him, the Bible says. And there came a moment when Jesus, feeling the depths of the pain, of this experience, cried out in Aramaic again, like he'd once done it before, this time saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, Abba, why have you forsaken me? And then the Bible says, something in him seemed to settle. Maybe it was because they passed up some wine vinegar to him. Maybe because the anesthetic of that wine vinegar dulled the edge of the pain just a little bit. Maybe he was able to see through his tear-swollen eyes, past the faces of the mockers and the torturers and the hate-bringers, and see into the invisible place, into the heavens, and into the gaze of the eyes of love of the Father who was so near. Because at the very end, the prayer of Jesus was this, Abba, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathed his last. I know there are going to be times when we will find it very difficult to understand what God's doing. We won't get it. Uh, we will just look at the circumstances and say, there has to be a plan B here, God. I mean, this plan A is not possibly 
anything from which good could come. And it is okay to cry out in those moments, to ask God for that alternative plan. And sometimes there is one that can can be worked out. But when there is not, remember the words of the psalmist, would you? Remember the, the example of Jesus reflected in these words from Psalm 62. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him. For God is our refuge. And remember also that one day, this operation of grace that we are enduring in our time is going to reach its final fulfillment. One day, the work of healing that Jesus came to begin is going to be completely done. And on that day, children, God's children, will rise from the table wonderfully and utterly whole. And we will see our dear Father. We will see Him with clear eyes at last, We will see the great physician, the Holy Spirit, God three in one, standing so near beside us and realize he was always there. And we will see the scars in his hands. We will see the love in his eyes. And we will know with total assurance that even in our darkest hours, he was always with us. He entered into it with us. Fully trustworthy fully at work for the good, fully with us as he is right now. Please pray with me. God, you know which of us listening to you, especially need this message. You know who of us, God, is so overwhelmed, who feels such deep distress, that it would be easy for us to despair. Come close, especially, to that person, to those ones, I pray, with your Holy Spirit. And remind us, Lord God, in the midst of the journey of this life, that you will never leave us, never forsake us, always are at work for the good of those who love you and who have been called according to your purpose. For this we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.